Hi, this is Samantha, and you're listening to the Layman's Doctor podcast, where we're bringing medicine home. Uh, I'm going to apologize for any issues that you might be having with sound or any background music that you might be hearing. Recording at a little different location today, so instead of yeng yengs and dogs barking, (laughs) (laughs) we have some music playing in the background, so if that's coming through, I'm so sorry. And again, not only are we practicing social distancing, but um, my guest today is actually not located in Jamaica, so we are recording online like most of my podcasts have been since the pandemic has started. Now, this episode is one that has been asked for from many um, by a lot of persons after my first podcast episode with him. Today's guest is Dr. Jason Strawn, and he was, I believe, the first guest I had when I did my alternative series, alternative pathway series with doctors. And in that series, I just talked to medical doctors who took other pathways to reach in success or find out things that they want to do. He has been one of the guests, Dr. Mario Evan as well. I've had Dr. Tariq Parker, who is do a part two as well on that series and in that episode we spoke a lot about his journey and especially to where he is now where he's now working in medical legal in the United States of America and is no longer really practicing clinical medicine but was able to use his medical degree to to find another avenue and he spoke a lot about that and in his journey he spoke about taking USMLE and his experience with that so from that whole podcast I've gotten a lot of messages from persons who kind of want a follow-up where we talk more in depth about the USMLE process and I've just been having some conversations with him about possibly creating specific articles to help guide Jamaicans and Caribbean medical graduates on how to make the process a little bit more simplified so that there's a resource that you can kind of go to to get some help. Um, For those of you who don't know, I do actually have a USMLE Telegram group, which is very active, has a lot of resources in there. Um, It's a very helpful group. I'm going to put the link down in the show notes. And I have a few more... Um, podcast series coming up or podcast episodes coming up where I'm talking about the interview process and the matching process from someone who has actually done the interviews and has successfully matched um, into a residency. So lots of exciting things coming, just, you know, they're in the pipeline, things are happening. There's just going to take some time to get all the information together and then package it up really nicely so that persons can have it but until then you can check out this podcast the previous podcast I had with um Jason and also the podcast with Dr. Tariq Parker and a part two that's coming up with him I think that's going to be the next episode and for those of you who want to go to UK also spoke about PLAB with Dr. Parker but I have another podcast episode coming up where we can talk about PLAB and actually getting into the UK system as well. So all that is happening. And I think it's happening at a great time because we're recording this um, the 25th of June. 
this podcast will hopefully come out Sunday. So still in June, if not, it's going to come out early July. And that's when a lot of medical doctors are basically changing over. Either they're becoming from interns to SHOs as senior house officers or from senior house officers to medical officers. And right now in the news, there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of unemployment. There's a lot of persons, um, there's a lot of talk about the government offering us six-month contracts in the pandemic. And just over the last two years, the, the treatment of doctors has come to light a lot, especially in media and local media. And there are just a lot of doctors who are not only looking at their other options, but also looking at their different skill sets. And there's a lot of talk about about creating new stream, um, new streams of income, going where they're where they feel more valued, and just looking at different options. And here at the Layman's Doctor, we try to stay ahead of the curve, and you know, bridge that gap between healthcare workers. And, you know, them achieving their dreams and going where they're valued and accomplishing the things that they want to accomplish. So that's a very long intro. But just to bring up the excitement, um, that's just a lot of things to look out for. And I'm super excited. I'm going to bring Jason in. I don't know if I think we should do it. Let's reintroduce. Jason, just reintroduce yourself. I feel like I introduced you a little bit, though. (laughs) But... I feel like you need to listen to the first podcast episode with him to really delve into this one. But just in case, let me make Jason reintroduce himself. All right, sure thing. Um, thanks for having me on again, Sam. It's a pleasure. Um, all right, so I'm Dr. Jason Strawn. Um, I finished med school at UA in Jamaica in 2010. Between 2010 and 2019, I worked in the public health system in Jamaica, primarily in orthopedics, worked at pretty much every hospital in the you know, Kingston, uh, St. Catherine metropolitan area, except UAE. I worked at Mandeville too for six months. Um, I became quite disenchanted with the um, residency programs in Jamaica. I decided that, you know, I didn't think it was best for me, but the fact is I decided late. So I didn't quite get through with USMLE when I started to do it, which was about six, seven years after I finished. So in 2019, I said I was kind of done with clinical practice. Uh, before that, I'd started applying to other jobs in America because, you know, as a green card holder. So, you know, I thought that, you know, I could probably use the clinical skills in something else. So I said, all right, let's start applying. Applied to a bunch of places. And I mean, a bunch, a whole lot. And uh, luckily got this one right now. I mean, I started the company's expert institute. We're in medical legal work, you know, helping lawyers build their cases in malpractice. So, Still a, still a patient advocate. Unfortunately, it's against the physicians, but I have a lot of thoughts on why my practice actually helps physicians. And, you know, got promoted um, less than a, well, no, about a year in. So I was a medical research associate and I was senior associate. And uh, yeah, just enjoying working at the company. It's an intense job, but I love it. Um, it's almost like a nine to five with no weekends and 
you know, life is good. Um, had a had a chance to be on the Switzerland before and tried to help the doctors in Jamaica try to, you know, figure out a life for themselves outside of Jamaica. And if they want to leave clinical practice, show that you know there there are other opportunities because apathy in the clinical profession in Jamaica is at an all-time high. And we can't go around it. There's a lot going on. So you know, just doing my part here. Yes, and I think because you are no longer in the system, you have a very unique, you're uniquely positioned to be a voice or make commentary on certain things that are happening that some of us may not feel as comfortable to say out loud just because of how the culture of medicine is. So um, if you do You mean know, that's other things? Yeah, yeah, basically. It's yeah. so like, mm-hmm. if you don't know, I really met Jason because of um, an issue that was happening that he came on um, Beyond Jackson Miller's Beyond, is it, I know Beyond the Headlines. No, it was uh, All Angles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he has been a true advocate for Jamaican doctors and by extension Caribbean doctors and about creating, not only improving the culture and the atmosphere that we live in when working but also encouraging doctors to say hey you know what you can't wait sometimes you have to take your take your future in your own hands and change your destiny and all that fancy stuff so that's how he's so popular i want to ask one question though because in the last podcast i was like i'm so sorry for your dms have persons been reaching out to you and asking you questions? Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> like it happens like weekly at this point. Like after the first podcast, like I got a barrage of them and then it slowed down and then there was a time that it was happening, you know, like every month I would get one and then it just picked up again. Um probably around March, April, I think, um, when things really started to really go bad in terms of the government's response to how doctors were being, um, how doctors were feeling. And I think the apathy in the last few months has been at an all-time high, where you're having so many people who are established in the profession now in Jamaica, like 15 years, coming to be like, hey, what could I do to get out of this place? How do I go about it? So, yeah, it's, 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 it's insane how how frequently I do get asked, but yeah, I'm just happy to be able to advise people. And you did tell persons that your DMs are open, so can't complain. Oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's fine, you know, because, you know, once I have some time, I'll answer, I'll always get around to your question. It usually won't be right away, but, you know, it's, it's I, I, I want people to know what their options are. I want doctors to be able to take their career their you know their rights their opportunities into their own hands because we as physicians in med school we're not really taught about marketing ourselves or how to really fight for what we want we're taught how to treat patients we're not taught how to build a cv or any of the other things that um, physicians outside the caribbean are taught like if you look on an american uh, medical student cv versus ours like it is so different in everything even just how it's formatted, right? So that is why I want the uh, medical students now, the interns, SHOs, actually focus on how to 
you know, put yourself in the best position to be successful in a career, whether it is you want to practice medicine in Jamaica, whether it's practice medicine elsewhere, whether it's not being medicine in Jamaica at all. So I just want to show them the opportunities where I can. All right. So on that note, let's get right into it. So we're really trying to give a comprehensive guide um, to, to USMLE and how to get started. And Jason has gone up to step three. So in another podcast, I will talk about the interview process and the matching process um, with, with another doctor who has gone through the process as well in an effort to really help as a guide. So where do we start first? All right. So where we start first is ECFMG. Those five letters, once you are trying to practice medicine in America, and this is strictly, this is strictly for people who want to get into residency in America, right? Not for anyone else. Those persons, you need to be ECFMG certified. ECFMG is Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates. American medical graduates will do step one and step two in in med school, and then they will just matriculate in through the match system and get into their residency. What the ECFMG certification does is basically put you on the same level as an American medical graduate who has just finished medical school. Even though you probably have been practicing medicine for 10 years and you're far more qualified than that fourth year, that final year medical student is in America. America is an extremely insular society and thinks that only things that are awarded by them are of much value. And I'm not, not being facetious here. So. ECFMG certification is for that purpose. Now, how you get that is really what the issue is. To, it's an entire process that starts with really the websites that you're going to need to use primarily is going to be, are really going to be ECFMG and the interactive web, app, web applications website. And these will all be in... These will all be in the show notes, guys. They'll yes. all be in the show notes. And I'm also going to um, send a link for a site that has the process for your um, registration, what exactly you're to do. But I'll talk about it a bit. So the first thing you're the the first step that you're going to do, you're going to go to ecfmg.org so that you can apply for your ECFMG US MLE identification number. That's the first step. You have to do that in order to be able to register for your exams. Uh, sorry to cut you. Go ahead. But um, really, someone, you know, so funny. Someone literally just sent me a message on. Twitter, mm-hmm. because I posted that we're recording this, someone just sent me a message on Twitter about mm-hmm. something to ask. And they're like, can you ask Jason about the process for IMGs who don't have US citizenship? I feel like we spoke about, we're, we're going to talk about this. But um, what I wanted to ask was, um, 
getting the the application it's mm-hmm. it's not just about going online and saying hey i'm samantha johnson and i want to apply there are actually some steps some and some processes to go through and it actually involves your university sending off some you have to send off your transcript yes and you also so have to get your your school also has to verify the fact that you are a medical graduate as well I know a few persons who have done it. It's it's not a it's not a quick process, but it's not a difficult process. Yeah, it's not it's not quick. You have to, as I said, there are steps that you have to follow, and you have to apply for the certification, and you're going to need to get your degree notarized. You're going to need to get your transcripts. You're going to need to um, pay for the exam before you can act before you actually get to you know, um, complete all of your registration. So you're really looking at a total of probably four just to get um, get your ECFMG number, to get, um, you need that for registration and to actually pay for your USMLE step one, you're looking at roughly about 1100 US, right? So that is, that. those are the first steps. Once you have gone through those steps and they do take some time. Right? So, yeah, I know that the, the, the certificate is maybe about 250. So the rest of that one, 1100 is actually for the exam and paying UA to actually get your transcript. And there is a part I know what a lot of persons freak out about is the fact that they have to remember all of their rotations in order or something like that. Um, yeah. So that's why the sooner you do it is kind of also the easier it is and the better it is. Yeah, for sure. And the thing is that the sooner you do it, it's the better your chances are to match because, I mean, of course, we're kind of going ahead, but um, uni- uh, hospitals in America generally prefer more recent graduates. So a first year, someone who is in their intern year is going to get a lot more favor than someone who is you know, five years post-med school. So the earlier, the better always. All right. So we have done or we've gotten our certification. We've gotten our number. You know, we've done our process with UE, um, right? And guys, when you go on the website and you actually go through the things, it tells you the things that you need, right? So this is just very, very general. You're going to need a transcript. You're going to have to go to the dean's office so they can approve it. That's something between them. Um, I know you have paid for the exam. Do you use the same site to pay for the exams? Yes, you're going to you're going to pay for the exam through the same site. Okay, so I think I had asked you in the other one, but do you have to do step one before you do step two? You don't. Um, you don't. And of course, because of COVID, step two CS has been found to be useless. It's always been useless. I'm just happy they found that. Um, officially, because they want to decrease patient inter, uh, you know, patient student interaction. But yeah, you pay it through the same site. You only um, step one, step two, CK. You can do them in whichever order you choose. It's just to do step three, you have to do both step one and step two first. Okay, so I think this is a great time to actually talk about what the exams entail. A lot of questions I got, and I'm sure you got, were what to expect for the exams, what should we use to prepare for the exams. Is it harder yeah. than MBBS? You are all like, it's not as hard as MBBS. Like, if you passed MBBS, 
you have nothing to worry about, <laughs> especially when you were talking about step two and you even spoke about how long it took you to prepare. Tariq also spoke about how long it took to prepare in hours as well. I think he had dedicated about three months of study, but he was doing nothing else but studying for the exams. But also, him a star still. Yeah, he got into neurosurgery at Mass Gen. Uh, it's not. I mean, he has some. <laughs> I mean, he did. He, as far as I know, look, right. Um, you get your experiences as well. Sounds like a great student. So, I mean, that was, I mean, when I saw, you know, match for match gen neurosurgery, I'm like, yo, star boy for you. <laughs> Definitely. You're a star. You're a star. So, all right. So let's start with step one. When do you think is the best time to actually do step one? Say I'm just starting the MBBS program. I have all mm-hmm. the money in the world. You know, my parents are super supportive. Mm-hmm. When is the best time you think for me to do step one? Probably at the end of your second year or in the middle of your third year. Um, step one is primarily clinic, uh, preclinical stuff, um, like ninety-five percent at least. So I mean, you're getting all of your anatomy, your biochemistry, physiology, pharmacology, and you know you get a lot of genetics stuff that we don't really learn as much in Jamaica. We don't get they are extremely intense in biochem like and and molecular science it's so intense that you really have to spend a lot of time going through that so whilst we you know we'll focus a lot on anatomy and physiology i find um they are really heavy on the biochem stuff so you know when you're in first and second year, you're going through that all the time so i think at the uh, middle of third year and on second year it ideally would be the best time Okay, and this is a multiple choice exam. Yep, All it's right. a long, it's a long exam. I'll tell you that, and you have to do it in um, America. I mean, you, you really could do it in Trinidad because Trinidad actually has a center, mm-hmm. but of course, it costs more to go to Trinidad than to go to America. Yes, what it does. I don't know. It still makes I'm, no sense. I'm actually, I think, at some point, you know. Um, I actually think at some point that Jamaica is going to get a testing center. I just think it makes sense, right? Yeah. Because um, a lot of, it's not just Jamaicans that come to UA, Mona, even though, you know, in Bahamas, they have their own, they have, they can finish third to final year abroad. But even then, some Bahamians still choose to stay in Jamaica and complete it here. So, I really do think that at some point Jamaica is going to get their own testing site um, because a lot of Jamaicans and other Caribbean students who have studied in Jamaica have gone abroad. But, all right, so you've said, we don't really do a lot of biochem and I can just imagine after internship or during internship to go and pick up back your book and try and study. It's, it's crazy, especially something that's so far removed from first and second year, where a lot of times, I don't know about other persons, for me, a lot of times, I did not think we went in-depth enough. I, I thought it was a lot of, I don't even want to say surface knowledge. I just feel like I was just trying to memorize what the slides said and uh, pass the exam. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> It, it felt that way to me too. That's in, I mean, I mean, let's call it what it is. The biochem that we do here in med school is kind of superficial and on the surface. We really don't that we don't delve deeply into genetics and biotech and biochem, which is 
you know, in American medical system, those are huge. So mm-hmm. um, it's it, it's just a it's just a countries and the difference in the medicine that we see. So um, yeah, it's that's that's one that's our one kind of shortfall that would make things a bit more difficult for us doing it. What study materials you suggest we use for the step one then? I always stick with master the boards. Um, I found that to be pretty helpful for all the stages because you have editions for all the stages. Um, the first aid book as well on the for step one, I found quite useful as well. It's very concise, but it misses a lot of stuff, but it still gives you what you need. And you try to complement that always with the question bank. Now, I would always say, you know, you get the the question bank is actually, well, for me, it was a lot more helpful than the studying because with the question bank, with the UWorld question bank, especially when you're answering the questions after, as in you answer the questions after the test, it tells you what was right, what was wrong, but it explains why, what you, why the ones were correct and why the wrong ones were wrong. So it gives you a lot more information on everything. Okay, and I'm going to have those books named down in the show notes. Um, I think we had another book that you had suggested for step one was, man, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's the book that everybody talks about. I don't know if... What, the Kaplan books? No, man. Well, no, man. Uh, so there's there's a first, as in the first aid, USMLE first aid, yes. as in step one. Yeah, first aid for step one is... What is a book? Is a I think it's green and red that you'll see people walking all around with it when they you know when they're prepping or you know pretending that they're prepping or fooling themselves into thinking that they're prepping when they're really not doing much. But yeah, but but first aid is a very very popular series and you know it's very concise. You know, so it can give a lot of information. It can give you a lot of information in a very concise fashion, but there are a lot of holes, so I would not say it should be your primary um, resource. Just to kind of shift off from saying that, I know we are talking about how to actually go about it, but I don't want it to, I don't literally want us to talk about the step-by-step stuff. Do you think (laughs) that when we're preparing for USMLE, or not even just USMLE, but any other kind of exam to leave Jamaica, that we should broadcast it and necessarily tell you know our colleagues and our superiors or just have it just be um information that's out there even if we even if we're posting on social media oh studying i know you post a picture of the the book and everything do you think that's something we should necessarily keep to ourselves or be open about it all right if we had a more supportive society in jamaica i would say you could broadcast it because then uh, your friends and your colleagues would be very happy for you and pushing you to study and even giving you more time, ensuring that your shifts were lighter where possible. We don't have that sort of society in Jamaica, especially not in medicine. Um, what you have is a lot of, you know, passive aggressive behavior from your seniors. If they know you're going to study, you know, it's almost like, you know, you think you're better than them. So, you know, they'll sabotage you. They'll make life very difficult for you because you want time to study. I know stories of doctors who, their consultants wouldn't give them time off because they knew they were going to the foreign exams. So it's kind of ridiculous. So I would say, honestly, keep it within a close circle. 
really because I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but Batman is active, you know, and people really don't want to see you um leave this, you know, this fishbowl that we have. You know, they they they're accustomed to this ecosystem and they have decided that, you know, they want to stick in it and deal with all the abuse and you know what, you just got in it, so you have to pay your dues. You have to go through the same mess that I did. Otherwise, you know, you haven't really paid the dues. So yeah, I would say keep it to yourself and your circle and study hard and get through it as quickly as you can. I think what's make a decision. I think what's really sad now is because of the pandemic and even though we're fully vaccinated and stuff now, you still have the quarantine. So you can no longer take a little three day and fly out and come back. Mm-hmm. It's it's now a little bit harder to actually go and take the exams. And I find that in our in our work culture, people always want to know why you want time off or why you called in sick. And I'm and to me it's just like I don't see how it's really your business. I want the time off. Is either I'm gonna get it or I'm not gonna get it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you completely. All right, we've spoken about Step one, a long exam that is multiple choice and does is a lot about the preclinical stuff, you know, a lot of biochem, biogenetics, pathology, and things like that. And we also spoke about the study materials that you can use. And earlier you had spoken about step two and one of the exams from step two being removed, but maybe we can start at the top with step two and what is what what exams actually are happening in step two? All right, sure. So step two CK, so that's clinical knowledge. That is the only step two exam that's necessary now. Um, you need to finish step two CK and step one in order to get your ECFMG certification and for you to be able to apply to residence in America. It's it is pretty much a clinical exam. So it encompasses what you learned in fourth year and final year. So really the best time to do it is right after final year. I will say this, colleagues of mine have said it, this exam is not harder than MBBS. When the longer you are away from MBBS is the more time you'll need to study. I would estimate like with real dedicated hardcore studying, you can get this done in two to three months. And uh, yeah, you have to do it in America. The cost of it is the same as step one, which is about 950 US. Um, yeah, but this is one of, this is an exam that you really have to crush now because step one is becoming a pass fail exam. So with pass fail, you really have to separate yourself from whether American graduates or other foreign graduates using your step two CK score. Wait, wait, before we get into that, because that's a hot topic, I got several mm. questions about the pass fail thing. What is okay. CK, clinical knowledge? That's another multiple choice exam, right? Yeah, multiple choice, nine hours of exams that you're sitting down through. Nine hours, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, let me, and let me tell you something, you know, the attrition is really not, like, the, after a while, you can get so mentally exhausted that 
I really think people who don't do well aren't necessarily bad students, bad doctors, whatever. I think it's just the exhaustion after a while because, I mean, you're really, you're really sitting down for all that time. I mean, you get, a, you get an hour worth of break that you have to use throughout different times. So you can take two half an hour breaks. You can take, um, you know, six, ten minute breaks. You can break it up how you want. But throughout that nine hours, you only have an hour total of break and otherwise you're sitting down <laughs> and answering multiple choice questions. And then the one that was discontinued was clinical skills, CS. That's where you'd actually interact with patients, right? Yeah. CS I thought was a waste of time. Um, it was the most expensive exam. It cost like 1500 for it. It was only done in like five cities. So it was done in Philly, Atlanta. It was done in Houston, Chicago, and LA. So if you don't have family in those areas, then you're going to have to stay in a hotel. It really doesn't test your clinical skills. It just tests whether you are empathetic or not. Uh, it's not ASCII form at all. It's really, you know, that man has a red, has redness on his calf. Go and examine it and tell me what it is that you just really palpate and see what's going on. No structured examination, nothing like that. So it really doesn't, actually, to be honest, what it does test is your empathy and how well you can type, how well and fast you can type. Because at the end of it, you have to type out what happened, the encounter, and you have a time period for that. So that's really all it tests, nothing else. All right, so you do step one. You do step two clinical knowledge and you can really do them in any order and know it's time for you to try and match. So is it that I had always gotten confused with the time period? Say I finished my exams in like what, July 2021. What is my match period or when do I start applying to be matched? And can I only start applying for matches after I've finished my exams and gotten back the results. And then I think another question I have is, where do I apply for the matches through? Like, is it the same um, ECFMG website? Okay. Well, let me go in reverse order, as I can remember it best. Um, firstly, where you're going to apply for the match is through a different website. Um, once you finish and once you get ECFMG certified, the process gets pretty easy after that because in terms of applying to places, once you go on my ERAS, my eros, um, com, like they basically guide you through the process because you need to get what would be called an ERAS token that will give you access to the system for that match season. This is this part is one that I would say the the resource to use is myeras.com. That's a website. If I explain it, you're still going to have to go on it anyways. So, but what I'll say is that it does get a whole lot easier and you get pretty good direction from my ERA, my ERS as to what to do going forward once you are ECFMG certified. It's not difficult. Okay. I, w I don't want to jump into the how to choose 
um, who to match with and all that stuff before I, I had completely forgotten we had touched on the pass fail and really differentiating ourselves. So I got a lot of questions. I didn't even know that the CK, so the CK is numbers based, is scored based, right? That's yeah. not pass fail. No, so, CK is, is numbers based. Okay. So a lot of persons were concerned about, okay, now that step one is pass fail. How can I, as an international medical graduate, really differentiate myself from um, locals? And persons ask questions about um, how can they get their CV to look better. They ask about publications. They ask about just doing things that can differentiate themselves. I know I've always, in terms of publications, because you had said that, you know, you're not really familiar with that, but I guess it also depends on the stage that you're in. If you're, if you're a student trying to do research with your faculty, or I know that JAMSA as a part of SCORE, which is their research education arm, some students have gotten publications, um, especially at UE's conference, and those publications are actually online too. But you also, I think here you have to be a little bit imaginative and actually talk to consultants that you're around that are interested in research. You might be luckier to find that at UWE, the University Hospital of the West Indies, where, or even UWI faculty as well, where a lot of the consultants there do a lot of research in like PATH, programs i know that accidents and emergency dr eric williams i always see him have some publication um coming out at the ue at the ue research day and i think when we think about getting publications we feel like it's just our name alone but even to get a research paper done in jamaica it's not a one person only you actually need to have some kind of affiliation usually with like a university or something like that um, or with another consultant, you have to get approval, and it's not just one person that's on a publication generally. So I think the best way to do that is to actually talk to other lecturers and consultants who you know are very research-oriented and see if you can just be a part of it or approach them with, say, hey, I have this topic that I want to do, and I think that um, I, I would like your help and how to get it or some guidance. But then recently, last year at the UE conference as well, I saw where a group of students actually got their fourth year community health research paper published. So trying to push that, that research paper that we do in that come health rotation, push for it to be published because yeah. you basically you have to get ethical approval anyways and i wish that's something that my year we didn't get well my class um that i don't know if anybody from my year got it published but from my class even up to now we've been trying to get that study approved because i think you still had to get ethical approval and we followed all of the same steps it's just that it wasn't published and publication i don't want to say it's simple but it's really about submitting it either to UE's research um, conference, which you just um, you submit the, process, the abstract, or 
submitting it to online journals or Caribbean online journals, Caribbean journals, and so on, and getting it. I think a lot of US US students get publications because it's something that's encouraged in their system, doing research and posting articles. If you're if you're if you read Medscape, it's for required. example, there are a lot of yeah, there are a lot of required. articles <laughs> even on Medscape that are submitted by students. It's something that's the norm to them. And I personally really wish that we had this same kind of culture because it makes you more inquisitive, it makes you curious, and it makes us... It's like, I, I don't know why we have... Sometimes we don't really seem to want to research stuff or doc, not maybe not research stuff, but document things. Like, you know, everything is kind of... Oh, based on my experience, these medications work better. And I'm like, okay, if you know it works better, let's do a retrospective study and let's just publish it so we can get guidelines or, you know, something like that. Well, Sam, you know, the thing <laughs> is that I agree, I agree with you, you know, I agree with you completely. The, the problem is, so look on it this way. So in the U.S. system, when residents are, you know, working on their publications, I mean, a lot of them will get the time to do it. You know, they will have times in their rotations or whatever when it's a lot lighter. And that is known that this is the time for them to work on their research. You know, and the, and their consultants or attendings, as they call them, um, they're constant. a lot of them are constantly doing research and the students and the residents are a part of it. So it's an expected portion of your curriculum as a resident and as a student. So it's something that you are pushed towards and you really just have to get in where you fit in. Meanwhile, in Jamaica, it's not like that at all because I mean, the residency programs, as far as, I, as, far as I've seen, and I'm willing to be fact-checked on this, um, there doesn't appear to be a lot of time that's really just dedicated towards the residents actually doing research. The consultants don't have the time either. Some of them end up taking time off because they want to do their research. So it's really about the prioritization by our society of what they think is important. So there's just no priority for research in Jamaica right now, which is unfortunate because there should be. I mean, we have a very good population to be studied. I agree. I agree that we should definitely prioritize research and it shouldn't be until you are a resident in a residency program where you're kind of going like, oh gosh, I don't even remember how to do do any of these things that we learned for four weeks in Come Studies. Remote Come Studies, community health. I agree. I hope that changes, but it's not impossible. It's just a little bit more work but also let me see if i can find the document no there is actually a document i think it's like a yearly paper that comes out showing mm -hmm. how many international graduates got matched for a certain program how mm -hmm. many research how many publications they had um and you there are actually some some programs that are harder to get in than others. So in yeah. some programs, you will find that they take international graduates way more often than others. And also that 
having a publication while an asset is not always very necessary to actually get your foot in the door. And I do think that there are other ways to differentiate yourself, whether it is maybe, because you have to understand that. Remember that in the American system, a lot of these persons already have another degree along with the medical degree. So, you know, if you have a master's in something or um, I don't know if if volunteerism is is beneficial, but just not simply being, hey, this is, I'm Samantha. I went to this high school. I got great grades. And then I went straight into med school. I got great grades. And then I started working. Not saying that it's impossible for you to be able to get into a program with just that. But this is all about how do I make myself more likely to stand out and more likely to 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 be seen on paper. I'm like, hey, I think this would be a great asset. And then also doing observerships in places that you actually want to go on the residences and being deliberate about how you choose places to do residences in. So hemo residences, observerships in. So for example, I think one tactic, and I hope we talk about, we had mentioned in the other podcast, some hospitals that take a lot of Jamaicans and international graduates. But if you have the opportunity to, to do an observership, why not choose one that you know has a high rate of taking in international medical graduates so that when it comes time for you to apply, you know, and you reapply to that place, it's like, oh, this person has been here before. Oh, you know, she got a really, she did really well, you know. Um, she got a good recommendation or she made a good impact at this place. And I feel like even that is almost like, I don't want to say the word links, but you're creating a network already that hopefully you're already showing your impact and you're making a, you're making your presence known. And it's like, okay, cool. Um, you're, you know, you're just increasing the chance that they'll, I don't want to say remember you, but your chance that you'll be welcomed back into that space. Yeah, for sure. You see, all right. So I would not say it's a it's a link thing by any means. I think, look, if you're a good student, you're a good student. You will get through. If you're a good student, you're diligent. You go about your steps. You do them early enough. You will. You get good enough scores. You get good enough recommendations. You will. You will. You you are very likely to get through. Right. You're very likely to get through to. Um, a specialty like um, internal medicine or peds, psychiatry, um, probably even general surgery. Uh, there are a few others that are very, very much the ones that uh, that international med- family medicine as well as one of them. Those are the specialties that, for the most part, foreign medical graduates tend to get into. Um, because, uh, and it's for multiple reasons. I mean, they're easier to get into, so some persons get them that way. Um, Getting into more competitive ones requires a bit more in terms of things outside of just being a good student, getting good grades on the steps. So there are some other things that are required. But I would say that you always want to, go somewhere that you know people so if you know people there they can always speak to the 
program director and say, hey, you know, I know this person, I know them as a student, uh, and they're a good student, you know, why? Because that gives you a foot in the door, the rest is on you, right? So the link will, the link will do, will really just open the door or crack the door for you, everything else is on you. You're not going to just get into a residency program because you know the chief resident or you know the attending. There's actually a lot more integrity than that. Right. So you really need to, you know, be very good with your scores, be very good with your recommendation. You have to attack it. I kept it very aggressive about how you want it. And that that I, I can't really, you know, play around about that. You're going to have to really go for it with everything because look, right, you have to research the schools you want to go to. You have to look to see actually look at the residents and see, hey, you know. Are there any, is there anyone there who graduated from, you know, a Caribbean medical school? And if you go on the residency pages, you will see the bios. So there are a lot of universities, there are lots of hospitals affiliated with universities. So you're not going to go through all of them, but there are resources to just get a ballpark in terms of an assessment of where are the most friendly places to foreign medical graduates. If you're an exceptional um, candidate, like if you're the Rhodes Scholar and then you have to publish, do research, stuff like that, then you're going to get into neurosurgery or plastic surgery or orthopedics. This sounds very specific. (laughs) Because like, I don't like, I know one person was a road scholar who got into neuro and one who got into plastics. So, and the thing is, it's not, I wouldn't say it's easier for them because of course they've done all the work to be the road scholar, uh, but they get matriculated into the system a lot easier because of the fact that they are the road scholar and all of the research that goes along with their publications, notoriety, that stuff puts them ahead. So if you know that you are that level of student, because a lot of it is really just about being honest with yourself. Like if you know you're a middle of the pack student, you're not going to get into dermatology, neurosurgery right now. You're going to have to do a lot. And it's probably not going to work very well because unfortunately they favor the Americans a lot more than you. American students who are middling do not get into those um, I guess prestigious residences. I, I don't know. I, I don't really think they're that prestigious. They're just residences, but they're sought out more, seem to be, you know, higher because I mean I you, you get paid more. But you know, you just have to be honest with yourself. And it, that's why again it pays to do your research. Um I really I'm gonna try and find that document um where you can see it literally it doesn't only talk about international medical graduates, but also local graduates as well. And it, you really can see the, the number of persons who got into each specialty. And, and it has several breakdowns on the characteristics and the demographics of these persons. So if your heart is set on something, it definitely pays to do the research so that you can give yourself the, the best advantage possible. To, to get through and especially to get through on the first try because you are putting in a lot of money. I just want you to drop 
some names for hospitals that have a good track record of taking in international medical graduates because you did that on the last part i feel like you could do it on this one too all right sure let me tell you what i can recall um harlem hospital has a very good track record for from for general surgery internal medicine peds as far as i know from uh ue if you go on their website you will see a lot of residents have friends and colleagues who have finished residency programs there um they are wait, uh, uh, state university of brooklyn state university of new york sorry downstate so that's in brooklyn they take a lot of Jamaicans too, especially in internal medicine. Um, Seton Hall in Inglewood in New Jersey takes a lot of internal medicine persons. Um, there, I mean, I think I think Rani was their chief last year, and Julie uh, and Julie Allen is going to be their chief this year. And I mean, they're both UE grads, you know. So there's there. I mean, once you go a bit further south, Tallahassee uh, Memorial tends to take a lot of family medicine grad, uh, family medicine persons from the Caribbean. Um, Jackson in Miami, they seem to, from what I've seen, they take people for pediatrics. Uh, I know Cook County in Chicago. I know, I know Anderson is there on anesthesia, but, and I know they will take people because I had a friend that, that interviewed there as well and, you know, matched elsewhere. So those are the ones that come to mind immediately. There are a lot more that are, and that are, you know, uh, international medical graduate friendly, but you have to do your research. The research is for multiple reasons. It's really not just so that you know whether there are other people there. You have to know if they actually take foreign graduates because there are some hospitals. And I mean, once you start going into the Midwest, if you start going into very conservative um, red states, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make this political, but it's just a fact. They do not take foreign grads and they will say that on their website. What some persons, what some hospitals do is say they do not sponsor visas. Now, when they say they do not sponsor visas, that's saying that you have to be either a U.S. resident or a U.S. citizen to get through. And there are a lot of hospitals that do not sponsor visas. And I see, I know people have questions about visas, J1 versus H1B. Do not worry about it. Once you match the hospital that you match with will supply you with an H-1B visa. So you don't need to worry about that. It is a part of what they have to do because without an H-1B visa, you are not going to be able to work because your H-1B visa gives you the ability to actually get a social security number. And if you don't have one of those, you can't pay taxes. If you can't pay taxes, you can't work. Look at you answering my next question because, yep. yeah, people were really honing in on the fact that you said you had a green card, you know, and they're like, but what about us that don't have green cards? I have a question. Do we pay for residency? 
no, during residency, you get paid. You're that doctor who's working for the hospital in a department, and you get, you know, whatever salary is, um, you know, stated for the year that you're in. And I mean, it's, it elevates uh, once you start going up years. So it's not like here, because in Jamaica, you actually... You're either sponsored, but even some sponsored persons, like if the ministry sponsors you or UE sponsors you, you still pay your miscellaneous fees. Even though you get a salary, you pay miscellaneous fees. And there are also persons who are paying the entire tuition. I mean, I think it's... That's I have the number... <laughs> I have the number 200,000 in my head. I don't know if it's per year, per semester. But our residency programs are actually not free. You're either maybe fully sponsored, where maybe you don't pay your miscellaneous fees, or if you're through the government, sometimes you just pay the miscellaneous fees only, or you have to pay both tuition and miscellaneous fees. And again, I'm very willing to be fact-checked on this as well. This is just things I know from talking to persons who are in residency programs and persons who are looking to go into residency programs. So I've always wondered, like, when you go to the States, do you have to pay anything? But I guess not. You don't. Yeah. I mean, that's that's, that's insane to think about. But, yeah, no, you don't. You, you're a paid employee of the hospital within a certain, you know, department. And, yeah, it goes as such. One thing I need to say, and um, there is a bit of a theory that a lot of people float as to why it is so difficult for um, international graduates, and it's because of all of the fees associated with med school in America. I have friends who've been done med school for here for like eight years, and they're like $150,000 US in debt because their med school is so expensive. So that is why a lot of the more competitive um, residences they try to keep in America. That's the theory that, you know, that some people with knowledge of the situation have told me that they want to keep the high paying jobs for Americans because they want to give them a leg up in paying off those fees. Because to be honest, I have coworkers who, um, the other physicians on my medical team, they pay their they pay their rent twice because they pay one rent, which will be like 1800 1900 US for to actually stay in the place. And they will pay their other rent, which is 1900 or 1500 or whatever, which is their med school loan. So yeah, something to keep in mind. I'm here looking through the questions. If there's anything we missed, somebody did ask you ask about getting the unconventional jobs if they if they if you need a green card for that. And I feel like if you apply for a job and they want you, they will sponsor your visa. Yeah, it's it's simple as that, you know. As in, and that's why the whole you know putting the CV together is such a big thing because you have to. If you're a very attractive, competitive applicant, like they see you and they're like, yeah, this is the person I want. This is the person is better than anyone I can source locally. Then they will sponsor. And the thing is that companies do that. There are some companies that are very willing to sponsor, but you have to do your research and you have to be very persistent to the point that you're annoying. 
and you have to do your due diligence. You're going to have to find a place. You're going to have to figure out whether they are, um, whether they will sponsor a work visa or not, sponsor your H-1B. Uh, luckily, well, in New York, I know you are not allowed to ask someone's immigration status or work status prior to giving them an interview. So, I mean, there are people who may try to just be like, hey, you know what? Let me just apply for this. Let me see if I can get through and let's see what goes on. And uh, they've uh, been successful, but one or two have been like, yeah, the interview went great, but they don't sponsor. So you're going to have to do your due diligence because you're going to get offers, you know, and people will like what you have. It's a sponsorship. It's a big deal. And do you have any experience with getting the observerships? Like, how would you suggest persons go about getting observerships? And how important do you think having that clinical experience is to the entire application process? All right. I think if you're a middling student and you want to get into one of those very competitive residencies, then doing um, these externships or observerships, getting at least three months of U.S. clinical experience is very important for you. Um, There are some hospitals. I really think more than 50% of the hospitals that are in the MATCH program actually require some amount of U.S. clinical experience. So that actually makes you, if you have none, completely ineligible. Right. Don't even don't even waste time. Apply if you see that. If you know you don't. So that's why it's so important because of course, as I said, America is an extremely insular society and think that they um that if you do something here, then that's the only time it's recognized. So they want to know that you've practiced in America, not that you practice for however many years, wherever else, but you have to practice in their system so that they know that you can do it. Um so there are uh, resources for that. Um, uh, you'd have to. You can find them online. I'll look for a few, and you know, I'll send so that you can post them in the show notes. But one thing about it is that the time to do it, uh, if you can, is try to do it on your elective in med school. If you can, whether it's a ten-week elective in, um, no, sorry, your five-week in final year, your five-week in in fourth year, whichever one works better for you. Um, but get experience if possible. You're going to have to. Once again, research because you have to figure out which hospitals allow observerships. And those will be free observerships as students. Now, then you have another thing called clinical externships, which are experiences where you're shadowing, but you have to pay for those. And those are done in blocks. And there are different companies that offer those. And those Usually, honestly, for some of those externships for two months or so, you're paying like two grand US. So unless your parent, and and I would uh, suggest you do it where you have family, so you're not paying for living expenses for the time. The best bet that I had one friend that did is that her sister was an attending somewhere. And she really just went and lived with her and just shadowed her the entire time. She had that to her. She had 
that, you know, available to her. So she used it. Not everyone is going to have that. Most people don't. But you're going to have to network, figure out, you know, who knows who, who can get you in a conversation with who. These are the best ways to really turn every stone over if you're very serious about this. But a lot of due diligence has to be done where the um, observerships, externships part is. Okay. I feel like we hit so many gems. And I really hope that persons listening to this have like a better, not only understanding of the entire process, but learn little ways that they can it can set themselves apart and yeah, being honest honest with themselves and realizing that boy it's not something you can really get up and say, Okay, I'ma do this. But you have to think about who's gonna be a reference, when are you gonna um do the exams, taking the time off to study, when will you take the time off to study and ensuring that you have the finances available as well so that you can afford to do the exam, which can be pricey and just trying to use the things that you have at your disposal. So you know Florida is right there. Most persons have family in Florida. So you know don't go to your exam in New York, you know. Go do it in Florida and stay with Auntie for a while so that you, at least you don't have to think about housing. Um, I know that you had spoken about a hotel that actually gives you up 50% off. If you tell them that you're going, you're staying there because you are doing your exams. And uh, yeah, I feel like... <laughs> That was only for CS, though. So forget about that. There was a hotel in Atlanta oh. that um, they had the USMLE Step 2 CS site um, on the same compound. So because of that, they offered that if you're staying there and you let them know that you are doing CS, then you could get 50% off of your hotel stay. That was an agreement they had, of course. And that's all gone because CS is gone. Thank God. <laughs> okay. Jason, <laughs> I guess you're, there is going to be a little uptick in your DMs again, right? And I want, I want to challenge you to say that you had the, up, that the uptick to your DMs come in conjunction with application to residency programs and also mm-hmm. contract endings and renewals. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> because... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And, you know, the contract period for many persons end June 30th. Um, now we're having a thing where the interns are going to be SHOs, but they're still going to be interns for the next two months. But, yeah, there are going to be some persons in the internship period who are not going to continue on to SHO and might just take that time off to to study and try and and get ahead and leave. And I think because of the pandemic and especially, boy, with with just, I think persons aren't feeling valued and mm-hmm. they're not only f- not feeling valued, but they're, they're not, a lot of persons aren't practicing medicine the way that they envisioned it. So while the American system has its, its challenges and its pitfalls, um, I think you're you have more resources um and you're able to practice medicine that 
I don't, it sounds so bad. It doesn't feel like war medicine, you know? And uh, you're getting access to so many different technologies. And I also think there are a few persons who might be like, you know what? I want to go away and learn in this different setting. And some persons might very well come back and uh, try and beef up our system. Or they might go and they might stay, which is also completely fine. But the pandemic has, for a lot of persons, made them think, all right, what am I going to do with my life? What is it that I want? And persons are realizing that they have options. Yeah, and it's very important to recognize your options and that you do have them. We've been sort of trained to think that our you know, our life's work is going to be in Jamaica. It's going to be for Jamaica. We have to just deal with whatever we get. And that's not true, right? I think it's really a good time to try to empower the physicians to really take their career into their hands and start to make some serious decisions about, hey, do I really want to practice in this environment all the time? You know, we've you know, we both practice in Jamaica. We see what it is. Um, I love Jamaica. I loved my time practicing. But after a while, I just said, you know, this really isn't for me anymore. Uh, I don't think the U.S. medical system is perfect by any means. I think the system is better suited for our physicians to excel. And that's really it. I think Jamaican physicians can excel very well in the U.S. system because it tends to highlight the traits that we have that do not get appreciated that much in Jamaica. Our ability to how well and how quickly we work, how much work we're willing to take on, how you know how we can multitask, get so many things done at an early time. This is the stuff that puts us way ahead of the other first-year residents that are coming from America. So we are uniquely trained because of uh, all of the mental trauma we've had to go through with the internship, SHO, and all of that. So we are uniquely situated that we can really, you know, impact them. So um, I just want the doctors to give it a lot of thought. There will be physicians in Jamaica because there are people who do not want to leave Jamaica. Bless their heart. They want to stay with it and they will always be there. You is always producing more doctors. Doctors from other places will always will always be coming to Jamaica for one reason or the other. It is time for you as a physician to just decide what do you want for yourself? Where do you want to live? Where do you want to practice? What kind of life do you want to live? How do you want to proceed? It's something that you should give a lot of thought and you should do it from early. And do not be deterred by any of your colleagues. It's your decision. Think about it. Do your research and make a decision. And for the most part, stick with it, you know, just stick with your guns. I don't think there's anything else to say after that. I think that's a great end and conclusion to this podcast jason again thank you so much for always being willing to be a part of um the layman's doctor and just um sharing whether it's being on the podcast or writing an article for me you're always 
so helpful and supportive and willing to just share your experiences and your knowledge and your thoughts with this community. I appreciate it a lot. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. Um, Yeah, so of course I'm going to link all of Jason's stuff down below. You know, drop your, your socials for me. All right, so on Twitter at Flasnos, F-L-A-S-S-K-N-O-W-S, um, LinkedIn, just search my name, Jason Strawn. Um, IG, my IG is private. If I know you, I'll accept the follow. <laughs> if not, probably not. So, yeah, I mean, reach out to me. Honestly, uh, my DMs are open. If you have a question about any of this, very willing to help out where possible. Been doing you know, helping out students and other doctors, senior ones for a while now. Um, I'm really enjoying doing this. So, you know, get get through to me. Link uh, if you need me. All right. Thank you again so much. And guys, thank you for listening to another podcast. Um, it, on whatever platform you're listening to this too, please remember to subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review especially those persons on apple podcast share this with a friend um you never know what people are thinking about just share the knowledge right and if you want to reach out to me there's so many ways to contact me you can go via my website www.thelaymansdoctor.com or you can email me at thelaymansdoctor at gmail.com my DMs are also very, very open. I'm usually very responsive. Uh, you can message me on Twitter and on IG at the layman's DR. And of course, if you are interested in doing USMLE and you are interested in joining my Telegram group, just, li- just click the link in the show notes and feel free to join the group. Until next time, I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. Bye.